God bless you. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 is where we'll start. This is the second message in a series entitled, Love Thy Neighbor. If you're in the cafe this morning, or if you're taking a sick day, which some people will be doing, God bless you. I'm glad that you're joining us by audio or video podcast. It's Unity Sunday for us, so here at 11 o'clock today, First Baptist Woodburn will be joining us for Unity Service, one of my favorite services of the whole year, so I'm ready for a, a good day all day. But let's start with Luke chapter 10 and take a look at this uh, important story, the story of the Good Samaritan. One day, a a young and successful executive was driving his brand new Jaguar uh, through town. He was on top of the world. He was feeling feeling his worth. He was feeling amazing driving in this new car, seeing how fast it would go, testing out the GPS and all of that. Somehow, with all of the GPS and technology, he got lost. He ended up on what he considered the wrong side of town, a rough neighborhood. Uh, He was getting a little nervous. He started sort of fiddling with his GPS. And about that time, out of nowhere, uh, somebody threw a brick. A A brick came flying through and hit his car. I mean, this man immediately went into a fury. He threw the car into reverse. He backed up. He he saw this kid standing right there. The kid who threw the the brick stood there and watched him back up and come back to him. So this man slammed on his brakes, jumped out of the car. He went back. The kid had a little buzz cut, little ripped cargo pants. He went and he literally grabbed the kid by the shirt and put him up against the car and said, What are you doing? Who do you think you are? Do you know how much this car costs? What are you doing? Just screaming at this kid. And the kids start, start saying, sir, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I threw the brick, but it's the only way to make you stop. Nobody would stop. And finally the man stopped screaming and listened. And the boy said, my brother has fallen out of his wheelchair. He can't walk. He can't move his arms. He's probably hurt. And I'm too small to get him back in the chair. I need help. So the man stopped screaming. He kind of took a breath and and walked with the boy back. And sure enough, there was his brother just laying on the sidewalk, just laying in a heap beside a wheelchair. And so the the executive picked him up, uh, put him back in his chair. He made sure everybody was okay. And, and, And then he said goodbye. And he watched the little boy start pushing his brother back up that long sidewalk. But the longest walk was the walk that that executive made back to his Jaguar. Because he had to think about what he had done, about the brick, about screaming about the car, and about watching that little boy push his brother back up the sidewalk. And before he got back to his car, he made a very important decision. He decided he would never, ever fix the dent in his car from the brick. He decided to leave it because he said he thought he needed a reminder for the rest of his life, a simple reminder that nobody should have to throw a brick to get your attention. Nobody should have to throw a brick to get your attention. The parable of the Good Samaritan is called a a, a parable, of course. Parable comes from a Greek word that means to throw. So the way a parable would work, Jesus would take a message... And he would kind of wind it up into a story, then he'd throw it out there. You know, he would throw it in such a way where people get hit by the truth like a brick. Understand? Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Watch how Jesus delivers the truth. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A a Levite, a temple assistant, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now you go and do the same. All right, verse 25, back up with me, verse 25. This whole episode, this story is sort of set up in terms of a test. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Let me just stop and ask you, who's testing whom here? Who's being tested? Now, the the lawyer, the expert in religious law, he thinks he's testing Jesus. So in that sense, Jesus is being tested. But now, you know, you, you know, this is Jesus here. So truly, the man thinks he's testing Jesus, but actually what's happening, Jesus is testing the man. The real test here is the lawyer, the one who seems to know what the law requires so thoroughly. It's his test. He just doesn't know it yet. And whether or not you caught on, ultimately before this is all over, the word of God will test all of us. It's your test. You just don't know it yet. Now, the man asked Jesus a question, but he really doesn't want to know. I mean, the scripture makes that perfectly clear. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking. He doesn't really want to know. He's not asking because he, he's seeking information from Jesus, because he thinks there's something that he wants to understand. No, he's asking to, to test. And so Jesus answers his question with the question. The man asks, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Not because he wants to know. And then Jesus replies, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Okay, the Harris rule of biblical interpretation, I only have one, and it's this. Whenever Jesus in the Bible asks a question, it's not because there's something he doesn't know. All right? Whenever Jesus asks a question, it is never because there's something he doesn't know. So the man asks Jesus a question, and Jesus responds with, with the question, Understand, it's not because there's something Jesus doesn't know. So Jesus says, how do you read it? How do you read the Bible? How do you read the scripture? How do you understand it? And the man answers. He answers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This man already knew. 
And Jesus has exposed that. The man's probably a little embarrassed now because he asked a question that he already knew the answer to. So now he's got to justify himself by asking another question. He asks another question. And who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Jesus responds with a story this time. How come you can't get just a straight answer out of Jesus? No straight answers. You ask a question, you get a question. Ask a follow-up question, you get a story. Can't Jesus just answer questions? Well, it's actually rather simple. Jesus isn't answering the question. Jesus is answering the man. And that's different, you understand? He's not necessarily answering the questions that tumble out of this man's mouth. He's answering the question that tumbles out of this man's life. Jesus is answering the man. I remind you, there's nothing that Jesus doesn't already know, and he happens to know the man inside and out. It's just the man doesn't know himself very well. Jesus answers the man. The question that tumbles out of this man's life, and the question that tumbles out of his life is something like this, who is my neighbor? If the scriptures say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, the man wants to know who's my neighbor. The importance of that question, of course, is the implied question that goes behind it or beneath it. And what would that question be? If you're asking who is my neighbor, what are you really wanting to know? Yeah, who's not my neighbor? Who's not my neighbor? If if the Bible requires that I love my neighbor, then help me understand who my neighbor is because I don't want to go out there, you know, wasting my love on people who aren't necessarily my neighbors. I don't want to go out there wasting love on people who I am not obligated to love. Help me understand the limits of this thing. Understand? Help me understand the limits. I need to know who's in, who's out, who am I supposed to love, who who is entitled to my love and affection, and who is not. Who's my neighbor? Who's not my neighbor? You understand, the question that comes tumbling out of this man's life comes from the basic reason that you and I have a very difficult time accepting the idea of love without limits. We don't do love without limits. We are who's my neighbor, who's not my neighbor people. We want to know what the limits are. And we want to make limits. We want to draw boundaries. We want to draw circles, circles that, that help us identify who is it we're supposed to love and who are we allowed to despise? Who are we allowed to ignore? Who are we allowed to hate? Who's my neighbor? Who's not my neighbor? And so uh, Jesus tells the story. Now, when Jesus tells the story, there are probably three things that everybody in his audience knew. Number one, the road that goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Everybody knows that road. It was a road that, that, that actually travels in an extreme drop in elevation. So that's why it says he goes down, down to Jericho. It was famous for its, its, its danger. It was full of twists and turns and hills and valleys. And honestly, people knew that this was a very dangerous road. Nobody wanted to travel this road, and especially not alone and never at night. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known for bandits. It was known for robbers. 
The kind of thing where, you know, you, you would put a man out there that, that would be a decoy, look like he's hurt, and when you go over to help the man, then the robbers jump out of the bushes. It's the oldest trick in the book. You, you put someone there that seems to need help, and, and then it's an ambush. When someone steps over, then you rob them. I mean, it's, it, it's an old trick. Everybody knows this road. Everybody knows that this road is dangerous. And let me remind you that in this part, in Jesus' story, very literally, they're traveling that road right now. So that's kind of the fun part about how Jesus teaches. He tells a story about the road they're walking, the road that leads from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's interesting. Number two, the priest, the Levite. Everybody knows the Old Testament law. Everybody knows that the Old Testament law says that you're not supposed to go near a dead man if you have temple duties to do. To step into the temple as a priest or, or as a Levite, you had to maintain a, an incredible level of, of religious purity, of, of ceremonial purity, and they're on their way to perform their duties, and therefore they're obligated to keep themselves pure according to the Old Testament law. And everybody knows the Old Testament law. You can't go near dead things. You can't go near dead people. And everybody knows that. So when you hear the story of the priest and Levite who passed by on the other side, everybody understands that if there's ever a good reason to pass by a guy who's probably at least mostly dead, these guys have a reason. It's a biblical reason. It's an Old Testament reason. They got a good excuse. Third thing everybody knows is everybody knows Jews hate Samaritans and vice versa. It goes both ways. Samaritans hate Jews. These people hated one another. It's not just that the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritan hates Jews too. Read your history. About the time that Jesus was born, there was a famous incident where a group of Samaritans broke into the Jewish temple at night and they scattered dead people's bones all over the floor. They scattered dead people's bones. You just heard what I said about, you know, dead people, dead, you know, dead stuff and dead bones near the temple. I mean, this is an incredible, an, an incredible insult. It's an incredible desecration of the Jewish holy place. And the Samaritans and Jews hated each other that much. These people hated one another. They hated one another. So Jesus tells a story about a man who's traveling on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he was traveling, he fell among thieves. They stripped him. They robbed him. They left him for dead. Along comes a priest on his way up to the temple. He sees the man, but he passes by on the other side of the road. Behind him comes a temple assistant, a Levite. It's the worship pastor. The worship pastor comes by. He sees the man, but he passes by on the other side of the road. And then comes a Samaritan who sees the man, is moved with compassion, goes over to him in the ditch, takes care of him. He dresses his wounds with olive oil and wine Places him up upon his donkey, takes him to an inn, gets him a room for the night, pays the bill and says, if the bill goes any higher, I'll come back, I'll pay the rest. Jesus tells that story. He just kind of takes the message, throws it out there in such a way where people get hit with the truth. And then Jesus says, now, to whom was this man a neighbor? Who, who's the neighbor in, in the story? Who, who becomes a neighbor to the man in, in the ditch? Who's the neighbor? 
The lawyer says, well, it's the one that showed mercy, the one that shows love. And Jesus says, now you go do the same. Did you see what happened there? First off, in the course of telling the story, Jesus sort of changes the question. The question started out, what's the question? Who's my neighbor? But at the end of the story, it's a brand new question. And the new question is, who became a neighbor? I'm not making this stuff up. Read it. It's right there. The question Jesus asks at the end is, verse 36, which of these three would you say became the neighbor? That's a new question. That's a different question. The man answers the new question and says, well, it's the one that showed love. It's the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, now you go be that one. Interesting. Interesting. The message, the point of the parable of the course is that you've got to love everyone. If your idea is going to love some people and not other people, the idea here is you love everyone. It's not so much who is my neighbor, who's not my neighbor. The real question is to whom can you be a neighbor? To whom can you be a neighbor? And the answer is everybody, but especially anyone in need. That's sort of the sharp point of this story. It's everybody and anybody. It doesn't matter. Jew, Samaritan, it really doesn't matter. But especially if somebody's in need. You just don't turn your head and cross by on the other side of the street when there's somebody in need. When uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King would preach this parable, he used to include a very important point. He would say that the priest and the Levite were probably justified. We could probably rationalize their behavior. We can explain why they walked to the other side of the road. I, I mean, if, if you didn't just take into account the idea that they needed to remain ceremonially pure... You also just take into account that the human logic behind not wanting yourself to, to get into trouble. They know the danger of the road. They know that this is the oldest trick in the book to put somebody out there that seems to need help. And then when someone steps over there toward the ditch, you ambush them. In other words, Dr. King would say that the priest and the Levite, they see the man and they ask a logical question. If I go over there, what's going to happen to me? If I step over there in the direction of the man in the ditch, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to get robbed? Am I going to get hurt? Am I going to somehow defile myself so that I'm unqualified to serve at the temple? If I love that man, what's going to happen to me? Dr. King then would say, that's the wrong question to ask. Because the Good Samaritan comes by and he asks a very different question. He doesn't ask, if I help that man, what's going to happen to me? The Good Samaritan asks, if I don't help that man, what's going to happen to him? Understand, it's a switch in pronouns, but a very important switch in pronouns. It's a difference between me and him. And if you're going to love like Jesus loves, if you're going to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to get past always thinking about yourself, and you've got to start thinking about others. It doesn't always matter what happens to you. What matters and what should matter in your heart is what's going to happen to other people. What happens to them? If you don't love, if you don't help, where does that leave them? You love everyone, and especially, especially anyone in need. Especially anyone in need. So what's it going to take? 
What's it going to take? Because the bottom line of this parable, the only way to apply it is you got to get off of your donkey. Now, somebody else could say that different. You got to get off of your donkey and get into the ditch. You got to get off of your donkey and get into the ditch because the ditch is where people are. The ditch is where people need mercy. The ditch is where people need help and love. And you're going to have to get off of your donkey and get into the ditch where people need love. But you and I struggle with this. We struggle awfully with this. We just do. We can't stop thinking about ourselves. We just can't stop thinking about ourselves. And what's it going to cost me? And what's going to happen to me? See, this is where the Good Samaritan is so different from us. He's an amazing man. He steps over to the ditch, and yes, this could be an ambush. He could be set up. He could be robbed. He thinks he's going to help a victim. He could become a victim. But he puts all of those thoughts aside because he would rather take the chance helping somebody who needs help than maybe risk, you know, not helping somebody who did. I said that totally wrong. He would rather take the risk of helping somebody who doesn't need help than risk not helping somebody who did. That's going to make a lot of sense when y'all think about it later. You understand? <laughs> Rather take the risk of helping somebody who doesn't need my help. How many times have you seen somebody that needs your help and you think, I don't know about helping them. I, I could give them money, but they could buy drugs with it, or they might just buy beer. In other words, you're thinking, I, I could help them, but what if I help them and they don't really need my help? Then, then I'm the victim. Then I'm just a sitting duck. Well, understand, you don't know. You don't know that they're going to buy drugs. You don't know that they're going to buy beer, but you're willing to take the risk that you don't help somebody who really needed help. You're willing to take that risk as if you know, and you don't always know. The Good Samaritan just walks right over to the ditch where the man needs help, and he takes the risk, absolutely takes the risk. And he doesn't know who the man is because I remind you, the man's been stripped naked. You you can't see anything about him. You don't know about this man. You don't know what he does for a living. You don't know anything about him. The good Samaritan knows nothing. He rolls him over and he realizes he's a Jew. But does that matter? Not one bit. Because at this point, he's a man in the ditch. The good Samaritan is going to help him. It doesn't matter who he is. See, you and I aren't good at this. We roll him over and he's a Republican. And we think, oh my goodness. Oh no. Oh, he's worried, right? You know, we roll him over and he's got a red hat on that says, make Jericho great again. And you think, God, just let him lay there. Let him lay. God, what he need? God, what he deserved. You know, or you roll him over and think, oh my goodness, he voted for Hillary. <laughs> voted for Hillary. Oh, roll him over. It's transgender. You don't know if it's a man or a woman. Roll him over. You don't know if it's he or her. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, I, I put this he, she on my donkey, drive up to the motel. They're going to think we're some kind of couple. I mean, you know, there are risks that you have to take. You have no idea who this person is, and it could be any kind of person whatsoever. I'm telling you, they could be from Logan County. You know, you just run your donkey through Tinder Touch and got that new car smell on the donkey. You put that Logan County person on the donkey, your whole donkey is going to smell like the tobacco festival and Russell. I mean, these are the chances you take. This person could be dirty. This person could be bloody. You could have secondhand stink the rest of your day going to mess up your nice clothes. I mean, all of these are are just the risks that you take. It's actually what happens because helping people's messy. It's always messy. A man in the ditch is in a mess and, and, and he may have done some things to put himself in the ditch. I don't know. But the bottom line is, is he's in the ditch now 
And, and what happens to him if I don't get him out of the ditch? You understand, this is the Good Samaritan's train of thought. It's messy. But he's willing to step down into the ditch and get into the mess. Because that's what you do. That's what love does. It's what love always does. People who need love are usually messy people. And, and once you get involved, you're involved for a while. I mean, it's not the sort of thing where he just stops, you know, and puts a couple of coins in this cup. It's not even the kind of thing where he just dresses the wounds and then leaves them there. No, he puts them on his donkey, then he's going to walk the rest of the way into town. Okay, he's walking now. He's got a perfectly good donkey, but he's walking now because this is what happens when you start helping people. You can end up being the one walking all the way into town. I mean, it could be you. You never know. And it always takes longer than you thought. I'm telling you, the Samaritan probably had somewhere to be. He's not just on the rescue squad, you know, you know, you know p- police in the roads to pick up victims. He had somewhere to be. But it's beside the point now. Because now he's involved with this guy and he's going to do whatever it takes to get this guy taken care of. We don't even know where he was going, but he never got there. And it takes a lot longer than you ever think it's going to take. You ever help somebody and realize how long it takes, how you get involved? You ever told somebody they could stay in your house one night and then three months later they're still, you know, in your shower? Eating out of your fridge? I mean, have you experienced this? Because this is what love does and this is what it looks like. It takes longer than you ever thought it was going to take. It's going to cost you more. Okay, the Good Samaritan puts the guy up in a motel. Y'all know about motels? There are always hidden fees and charges. You know, whatever they tell you it's going to cost, at the end of the day, it costs a whole lot more. And he just put a guy who's mostly dead in a motel and said he could stay as long as it takes. Okay, the mostly dead guy is eventually going to come back. He's going to be hungry. He's going to call room service, y'all. He's going to, have y'all ever called room service? Forget room service. Have y'all ever opened the mini fridge in a motel? The little mini fridge that's got Diet Cokes and Reese's Cups and candy bars and, and, you know, food in the mini fridge, little sandwiches. Y'all know one of those Diet Cokes costs $7.50? Like, a Diet Coke in a can in a mini fridge, it costs you $7. That little tuna fish sandwich that's been in there since Jimmy Carter was president, that'll cost you 11 bucks. And that mostly dead Jewish guy is going to eventually feel better and start eating out of the mini fridge. But what does the Good Samaritan say? I'll come back. I'll come back when he's gone and, and I will pay for whatever I owe. He understands there are going to be hidden fees, you all. He understands there's going to be room service charges. He gets that. He's already factored that in up front. It's going to cost more than I know, but, but I will pay whatever it costs because that's what love does. That's what love does. You and I, we simply got to stop thinking about ourselves. We've got to stop making enemies out of people. We've got to stop drawing lines of division which help us to rationalize why we can love some people and hate other people. We've got to learn how to erase those lines. We have to learn how to stop walking around whining and complaining that there aren't more good people in the world. We got to stop wondering why there aren't more good Samaritans in the world because this is exactly the point of Jesus' parable. Jesus says, who became a neighbor to this man? And the answer was, well, the one that showed love. And Jesus says, well, you go out and you be that one. 
You be the one. You go and you be the person who loves everybody. You be the one. You be the good Samaritan. You be the one who helps. You be the one who stops. You be the one who does what love does. You be the one that loves without limits. So, a woman named Patty, who was an emergency room nurse, ER nurse, she went into nursing because she loved people and wanted to help people. And she felt like it was a calling from the Lord to help people. But, yeah, she'd be in the ER for years now. And uh, she even started to recognize that she just didn't, she, she wasn't in it like she used to be in it. And she actually had prayed to the Lord about it. She said, Lord, I, I, you know that my heart has gotten hard. And I want you to change my heart. Somehow, just change my heart. One night, three in the morning, a a woman came into the ER with her daughter. The the mother was was completely unraveled, completely unglued. Her daughter had been a rebellious daughter. She had attempted a drug overdose. Her mother had come in the bedroom and found her got her to the hospital, and the mother was just com- completely, com- completely in pieces. Nurse Patty was there. She began to try to admit the daughter. The daughter was unresponsive. The mother was answering questions. And again, Patty had gone into nursing because she loved people, but that, that love had somehow been just extinguished by the, the, the pressure, the, the stress, the ongoing crisis of being in the emergency room. So, this mother is in tears and this mother's in pieces, but all Patty wants to do is get through the admission and answer the questions. And every time she'd answer a question, the most basic of questions, where do you live? This mother would just shake and, and not be able to think. She couldn't think. And Patty was just finding herself thinking, hurry up. Answer the question. Hurry up. I asked a ton of questions about the daughter trying to get her admitted into the hospital Finally, finally, she got to the end of the admission. She stepped out of the room, walked over to the copy machine to make copies for the files, for the charts. Patty said it's it's at that moment when God spoke to her. Actually, what Patty said was that at that moment, the truth fell on her like a ton of bricks. And she felt the voice of the Lord say to her, Patty, you haven't even looked at the woman. The Lord said it again, Patty, you never even looked at her. That's where Patty said she she, she felt it. She felt something turn in her. She, She felt her heart break for the first time in a long time. She never even looked at the woman. So she went back in the room. And she put her hands on the woman's hands. And she looked in that mama's face. And she said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. 
about what's happening to you tonight. I'm so sorry for your daughter. And the mother just crumpled into tears. When it was over, the woman left and she said, thank you, thank you. She said, I I just feel like God wanted you to be my nurse tonight. Patty said the same thing. Because that's when her heart changed. It, it, It takes a change of heart. You and I, we don't do love without limits very well. We, we just don't do a good job of looking out at the whole world, all the different kinds of people, and, and, and our first thought being love. We just don't do that well. And when somebody needs help, but it's not convenient for us, we don't, we don't stop well. I mean, sometimes you're going to have to throw a brick, you know, to get us to stop, because we just don't stop. We, we're, we're about our business. We're taking care of ourselves and our families, and, and, and you're just going to have to throw a brick almost. Because it's a heart problem. It's not an eye problem. It's not that we don't see people. We see them. We don't want to see them, but we see them well enough. And it's, it's not a head problem. It's not like we don't know that they need help. We pretend like we don't know, but we know. It's, it's a heart problem. Notice that the good Samaritan, the, the difference in him is not so much that he doesn't cross the road. It's that when he sees the man, something moves in him. He's, he's moved with something. He's moved with compassion. That love that he shows the man is somehow already in him. And the reason it doesn't come out of you is because it's not in you. Did you understand? The reason it doesn't come out of you is it's not in you. And this is a problem. It's it's a problem, but there is an answer. And the answer is in Scripture. One of my favorite verses, Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 Listen to the promise of the Lord. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone. Give you a heart of flesh. When did your heart become so hard? Some of you, you used to help people. You would be the one who would stop. You'd be the one who would give. I mean, you'd give the last dollar in your wallet if you thought somebody needed it. You used to be that person. What happened to your heart? When did you become the person who just won't stop? When did you become the person who just won't care? When did you become the person who just no longer sees anybody that's worthy of of your sacrifice? When did you become the person who, who no longer cares about anybody but yourself? What's happened to your heart? It's not in you anymore. But it can be. You come back to the Lord who alone can change your heart. He can change your heart. I'm telling you, you're never going to be the kind of good neighbor you think you want to be because it's not in you to be that neighbor. It's not in you. And you can blame your neighbors. You can say, well, my neighbor, Pastor, if you knew my neighbor, you wouldn't love him either. My, My neighbor's cooking meth. Well, my neighbor used to cook meth. 
I go knock on the door and invite him to church. And I think, I think that's meth. I smell meth. I don't know what meth smells like, y'all. He was cooking meth. But it doesn't matter who your neighbor is. If there's love in you, love will come out of you. Just can't turn it on and off like that when the love of Jesus is coming out of your heart like a river. Understand what I'm saying? This man thought he was going to test Jesus. <laughs> Dumbest thing. He thought he was going to test Jesus. By the end of this man, this man's heart's been laid open. Because Jesus had this way, you know, he could, uh, he could take a message and, uh, and wind it up in a story and just throw it boom, in such a way where people got hit by the truth. Sometimes you just got to be hit by the truth, you know. Because honestly, it's like sometimes you just got to throw a brick at us to get our attention. But it's not supposed to be that way. You need a new heart. Pray with me.